Welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is an award-winning platform that helps our clients and community manage their financial crime risk exposure. We aim to democratise due diligence through our AI-powered AML and KYC platform, our expert research and insight into emerging financial crime threats, and our deep dive intelligence for enhanced due diligence. Find out more at wearethemis.com. Welcome back to our series of podcasts with Gavin Miller, who is a former detective with the Police Service Northern Ireland, and he worked in the Slavery Human Trafficking Unit there. Gavin was either the Senior Investigating Officer or Deputy Senior Investigating Officer for every successful prosecution under the new Modern Slavery Act within Northern Ireland to date, so we really couldn't ask for a more knowledgeable person to be interviewing. If you haven't already listened to the first and second podcasts in this series, I really do recommend you go back and have a listen now. Um, Gavin gives us some really great insight into some of the cases that he worked on and helped to prosecute during his career and also the importance of cross-sectoral partnerships in this space. But today we're going to be talking about how businesses can help efforts to tackle this crime in relation to their governance, their due diligence and their modern slavery statements and why, why they should care, why it's beneficial for them. So to start off with a sprawling question, Gavin, um, why should businesses care about modern slavery and human trafficking um, and why should they be focusing on embedding their own efforts in and across their organisation to tackle this crime? I just think that there's there's huge advantages for businesses to look at the preventative side of this. And then there's also huge advantages for businesses to work collaboratively within their industry mm-hmm. for the leverage. So not only will it be the leverage that they can use to try and uh, instill better practice around the supply chains and down the different tiers, but it, it can't be rocket science for people to understand where this is going. The legislation about transparency has been 2015. They're tightening up the legislation at the moment because they see that some companies are either paying lip service to it or not paying it at all. Britain has taken the lead in this field for a long time, but now there's large amount of other countries who which are taking uh taking work in and to do with transparency and supply chain australia america canada holland france mm. germany hong kong and i'm sure there's lots more but they've all put their own uh legislation in place looking for about a clean supply chain and you're finding that if you're looking to work on a global market, then if you haven't looked carefully at your own supply chain, it's going to limit your access to those other markets as well. And with you know, one of the big things that I want to get out of this field is looking at accreditations for businesses, that if you can have some form of accreditation that you can show that, and then if there's a concern about your company or your supplier or you trying to work with within a different country in their legislation, then you've got that accreditation, that industry-wide accreditation to say, look, I'm audited. This is uh, the standards that we have and my business has reached those standards. I think it's going to happen, but far better if your industry takes the lead in creating that rather than letting some government boffin do a one-size-fits-all. And what you have for construction is going to be the same for fishing. It's going to be the same for financial institutions. It just it doesn't make sense that when you're future-proofing your 
company that you're not looking at your supply chains and looking not just at your modern slavery statement, but looking a little bit wider and seeing how you can work with partners, how you can work with competitors to try and look at your industry. And I talk, it's a very policey term, but I talk about target hardening, how to target harden your business from modern slavery, human trafficking, how to ensure that your business is supply chain is free as much as you can make it from uh, human trafficking and modern slavery. And it doesn't, my thing is it doesn't require huge things to do. This is not asking you to dismantle your business, not at all. What you do is going to be proportionate with the size of your business. But governments, governments can see that what people are doing is paying lip service to this. And it just it just doesn't make sense with some of the things that are happening. So if you look at International uh, Labour Organization, they've said 50 million people in the world are potentially victims of uh, exploitation, over half of which are forced labour. And the definition of forced labour is labour which somebody has been made to do under under a menace, under a threat or or under a menace. And it talks about which countries are highest at risk. So you've got Asia, parts of Europe, uh, parts of Africa, and other areas as well. And then you move from which countries are the highest risk, and then you look at which industries are the highest risk, service industry, transport, construction. <laughs> fishing and you and then you're doing your modern uh, slavery statement and you work in those industries or you're touched by those industries and then you write your statement saying that you reviewed it over the year and not only have you not found any evidence of human trafficking you haven't found any potential risks of human trafficking in your supply chain it just it doesn't make sense People need to be more mature. I get that there's risks. If you think that you find something, what's that going to mean to my business and the reputational ramifications of that? But omission is not acceptable anymore. And governments recognize that and they want to work with people. You know, it's not about has to be immediately about de-risking. It doesn't have to be dropping somebody like a stone because you found a potential risk. It's being mature enough in a spirit of openness and having that spirit of openness with your suppliers where you can speak to them and say, look, this is what we consider to be forced labour. This is what we consider to be a clean and transparent supply chain. We want you to reach sustained standards. Are you there yet? And if you're not there yet, what is the difficulties? How can we help and work together to try and overcome those difficulties? And I keep on saying the legislators and governments, they accept that and they they want that. It's the there's nothing to see here, but it's in a shiny report. I don't think is the way forward or or acceptable. The independent anti-slavery commissioner, though the last one, Dame Sarah Thornton, she talked about human trafficking and transparency in the supply chain to be similar to Health and safety was 30 years ago. Nope, nobody wanted it. Nobody thought, oh, 
this is just nonsense, bah humbug, this. But now every company has their health and safety because they see they want to recognize what are potential risks, how to overcome those risks, and, rec and then make sure they don't happen again. And this is just looking at, this is the same, looking at your supply chain is just the exact same. It's going, let's recognize that there are risks. Let's do some due diligence. Let's see how we overcome those risks. Let's monitor how we do, give ourselves an action plan, and then review, have we reached our goals or not? It's not looking or expecting business to cure this. You know, next to... I feel sometimes that uh, that the numbers intimidate people. You know, 50 million people next to drugs, the largest source for of income from organized crime gang in the world, 150 billion, you know, as I said, 50 people every country in the world. And it can become really intimidating, even in the UK, the last government, report 2016 said there was 10 to 16,000 potential victims in the UK. The last report I heard read said roughly about 135,000. So there's a huge dearth of knowledge of the size of the problem, but nevertheless, everybody thinks the size is just enormous. And it's trying to convey to people that it's not so big that you can't make a difference. You know, I and the small work that I have done have made a little bit of a difference to a little number of people's lives. And that's been a fantastic thing and a privilege for me to be involved and to do. And businesses and public bodies that look at supply chain have the same opportunity. When you can look at your preventative work that you can do, you have got a, such a significant opportunity to make somebody's life way better for them and it doesn't require you to make huge changes it just looks at you to do some due diligence look robustly at your supply chains work in an honest and open manner with your partners and agree some things that you're going to work on and that's why i talked about when the uh talked about um modern slavery statement it's not it's like a puppy you know it's not it's not just for christmas because this is not about 11 months oh hell here comes the slave time for the statement bring it out the cupboard get somebody to change the date make make either meaningless objectives or no action plan objectives whatsoever and then sign it off and put it back in the cupboard for 11 years there's no uh, you know, I think I listened to one of the other podcasts that yourselves did, and somebody said, I thought it was fantastic, that there's no shame in finding potential risks of labor exploitation in your supply chain. The shame is if you do nothing about it. Wow, that's really powerfully and eloquently summed up, isn't it? And it's not just a shame on a personal level. And if you're a business person, if you're a business leader, then part of the buzz you're going to have is growing your business, becoming more powerful as, as a business. But part of that is employing people. Part of that is looking after the welfare of 
employees, and you don't want that your legacy is going to be tainted with that you've chosen or you've instilled a culture of procurement that the cheapest is always the best, that you're going to take those risks, or you even know that there is labour exploitation further down the supply chains that you're using to get some sort of commercial advantage. That's not the legacy. It's not sustainable for you as a business, but it's not the legacy that you want to leave behind for your family and your friends and your business colleagues, that you are somebody who was so fly by night that you were willing to take those risks or you you knew those risks were there and and you took them anyway. It's not it's not a good thing for you as a person to do. It's not a good thing for your business to do. It's not going to make you sustainable. It's not going to make bigger partners want to work with you. It's not going to make it easier to get into different markets. There's just it, there's there's only advantages in looking at your supply chain, looking at your procurement, and making subtle differences if they need to be changed. So it's not it's not a negative; it's a positive thing. And for lots of businesses, I spoke to somebody last week, and I talked about seeing about helping them. And I said, look, you know, some of the industries that you're doing, I mentioned uh, waste management and. Uh, logistics would be seen as potential higher risk and the person you could see him getting riled up because he was a fantastic he works in a, he's a very good businessman he works in a fantastic business they're award-winning and they're a really good caring company and here was me coming to say oh i think there's a wee risk there for you and he's you can see him getting his back up but what what the opportunity is, is that you can then display to your peers and display to other suppliers or other potential uh, uh, business partners going forward just how good you are, that you work in an area where there are potential risks, but because of the fantastic uh, codes of conduct or other structures that you've put in place, that you yourself can clearly show that there's no concerns for your own business. Is that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's reframing it, isn't it? So it's a sort of, it's it's an opportunity for you to do good in the world and to kind of show show your stakeholders what good you're doing and not seeing it as a, as a sort of, you know, a, a teacher kind of, yeah, marking you down for finding anything. Yeah. yeah I think that's, that's really, it's a really important way of reframing it because that's not, you're right, that's not the culture that we currently have. That's not how how people see it. But so interesting, you're saying about the kind of governments realizing this now that people that um, a lot of companies are sort of not not really looking as hard as they could look in reporting. When when did they kind of start to realize that? And what was that just based on the sort of on the lack of kind of um, yeah. some things? Uh, so you've got, I think you've got about twenty one thousand companies that have completed their statements. There's many thousands that have not completed it. Uh, there was a really good report or Denham talks about from Sancroft with the, such a large percentage of uh, business leaders and staff and businesses that don't really know anything about modern slavery, don't really know what their company does, don't really know the ethos that they take to, to combat uh, human trafficking. Um, the, Legislation has been there since 2015, and 
the reason that it's being revised now is they can see that companies aren't adhering to it. Your companies up till now are allowed uh, to admit parts. So part of your modern slavery statement is you give your structures, you give your policies, but it's also about doing your due diligence. It's about looking to see what potential risks you have and then how you're going to address those risks and looking at training and looking at awareness raising. So they're all what are in the modern slavery statement. So and some people are just paying lip service to that. And there's and there, at the moment there's no regulatory control to enforce the legislation. So it was in the last Queen's speech that they're going to look to amend the legislation. And then there was a government response uh, last year in 2021 where they uh, they responded to the, uh, uh, sorry, I forgot what the word is for it, the consultation paper in relation to it. So they've, they've indicated the things that they're going to do to tighten up the tighten up this legislation. So they're keeping it for their companies that have a turnover of 36 million and above. You're not allowed to omit parts of the statement anymore. So you now have to do your diligence. You have to look at your supply chain. You have to do an action plan on how you're going to address it and your training or your awareness, awareness program. You have to put your statement onto the UK register. There's going to be a set date where you're going to have to do that for, link it to your annual accounts. And uh, it is highly expected that government bodies, so local governments, government bodies, departments, police forces, if they have a turnover of 36 million that they themselves are going to uh, have to take take it forward and complete a statement. So up till now, you know, it's really just, it's either been NGOs or maybe consumers, the likes of the likes of Boohoo. So I never really mentioned poor Boohoo. And I don't actually think that they were ever found guilty of anything other than omission. But there was that admission and there were allegations that sweatshops were being used in the project. And they've had to spend so much money and so much time to try and build themselves back up to, to where they were before. And you've got that consumer risk of people going, well, I just don't want to buy something from somewhere where there's a risk for labor exploitation. And that, that can spread like wildfire. And so the the government still has not put in it or they've not indicated that there's going to be, there might be some monetary fines for companies if they don't adhere adhere to this, but there, there's, uh, there's not any talk of any more than that. But the, the 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 two other the carrot and stick the 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 carrot that they're saying is that ten percent the ESG is the new it's the new buzz isn't it you know partly COVID has exasperated this or brought it forward quicker but ESG so and human trafficking sits really closely into that into social policy social values. So the government has said that from this year, 10% of the decision-making criteria to get a government contract is on social value. And human trafficking, as I said, is front and centre in that. From next year, from next financial year, that is going up to 20%. So it's a really big piece. And the at the moment, 
the government spending roughly $350 billion a year on procurement. So why would you not want to try and get a piece of the pie? Gosh, that's a great incentive, isn't it? And talk about a carrot. And then the other thing that I would talk about would be that the government has said that they would like 33% of all procurement given to SMEs going forward. So it might not be that the SME is by himself going for that tender, that contract, but they're going to be a part of multiple companies or a supplier to a major corporation which is going for that that contract. So even if your business has got under 36 million as a turnover, I would ask, why are you not looking at doing a supply statement yourself? Why are you not looking at doing a risk assessment? Why would you not comply with what companies with a turnover of more than 36 million would want to do? Because that makes you, as I've talked about before, it makes you ethically sound. It makes you good people for doing it, but it makes you really attractive. It makes you really attractive for other businesses to want to work with you. Bigger companies that have their supply chain and are thinking about this, then they know if they work with you, then that box has been ticked. You know, it's all good. So, so uh, maybe I'm being really naive, but I hope not only to encourage companies with 36 million above turnover, but I would really like companies that have got under 36 million turnover to see the advantages of doing this modern slavery statement. And it's important for me to highlight that it's not about just doing the statement. It's what comes before the statement. And what comes before is using due diligence, doing a risk assessment, being honest with yourselves and having that culture from the top. Again, I wish I could come up with these phrases. Somebody talked about uh, setting the tone, the right tone from the top. And that is just so, so very true. You want that your company feels that they're doing the right thing and they're not going to be criticized for doing the right thing. So if you are, if you're in a procurement team, then you want to know that from your top, that you're not going to be criticized, that you're going for the tender that's the cheapest, that you're looking yourself at if that contract could be completed fairly. Could anybody do that if they're still paying people above the minimum wage and they do things legally? legally? When you are putting contracts out, that you're putting contracts out saying that you expect suppliers to adhere with the legislation. If it's foreign, if it's uh, companies that are a different uh, country, that they're adhering to those countries' rules. Every country in the world has rules in relation to uh, human trafficking. So you adhering to your own country's rules, that you're asking people to be, uh, that they're made aware of what the legislation is, that you're not looking to criticise, you're not looking to do anything other than work in a spirit of cooperation with partners and suppliers to try and make sure that their chain is free. So I think the, I think the government have done a really good thing with the transparency and supply chain legislation, section 54, and this 
there's real value in the tightening up that they're going to do. But companies need to see what's down the rail tracks, that this will more than likely become more legislated and regulatory, that other countries are really involved and looking at their own transparency and supply chain. The EU is, now it's not going to be 36 mil, they're looking at 150 mil, but they're looking at bringing in legislation about clean transparency supply chain themselves that you know it's going to come, you know it's going to happen, so why not do it before you could get kicked and screamed into having to do it? And it's a good thing. And I keep on going back to say to people, it has to be proportionate. It's not asking you in your financial institution that you have to solve the world's problems. It's not asking that at all. It's just saying, let's look at this proportionately. Let's look at your look at your own business first, your own employees. Have you got things in place? Have you got the structures and policies that you're happy with and you're proud of? And then you're looking at subcontractors. Who's cleaning? Who's cleaning your office space? Where are you getting your software from? Where are you getting your uniform from? Who's disposing of your your waste? You know, your your paper, your shredding. And then just going further down the different tiers, but you're doing it in a spirit of openness and wanting to work with people. It's not about criticizing and it's not about instantly de-risking. It's about identifying the risks, being really open with them and agree an action plan with the supplier or the partner where you feel those risks are there and just monitoring it and making sure, are we changing? Is it are we compelling each other to reach a higher standard? And if that's not possible, that's not achievable, then maybe there's times where you just have to cut the cord. But it's not about instantly going, I see a potential risk, I'm running the other way. That's that's not what this is about in any manner or means. Absolutely. I mean, we always recommend that you try to engage with any third parties in that way before divesting, because again, as you've said, it's trying to flip your mindset, isn't it? So you're seeing it as an opportunity to do some good in the world. It's not looking and trying not to see or find anything, sort of looking through closed eyes, but but looking and actively trying to find something so that you can actually exercise some influence and make a real beneficial difference. So if you could sum up then, Gavin, and leave our listeners with a digestible takeaway, why is it that companies' anti-slavery and trafficking efforts are so important and why should they care? Why is it beneficial for them? So for me to sum up, uh, I would say that it's a, it's a win-win for businesses to start looking at prevention, uh, start looking at the supply chain transparency. It's a win because if you want government contracts, looking at social policy is a vital part in the scoring going forward up to 20% next year. And human trafficking is front and centre within social policy. It's a win because if you want to work with good ethical companies and you want to make yourself more attractive and grow as a business, this is an area where you should take active involvement. You should get involved in this because it's good for you as your business, but it's good for your heart. It's a super thing to be involved in where you can try and target harden your business. And by doing those things, you are less likely to have labor exploitation in your supply chain. And 
that means that you're safeguarding people. You are having a direct effect on making somebody's life better and helping for them to be taken away from exploitation. The government legislation is coming in place where omission is not an excuse anymore. Companies have to do a statement, but the important part is that you think about that due diligence. You think about the risk assessment. You see where your risks are and you address them. You look at it really maturely, identify what the higher risks are and work to come to a solution with where you find those risks. People will support you and they'll applaud you for doing it. There's no shame in finding human trafficking. The shame is not doing anything if you find it. For larger companies, legislation is going to come in place. Regulation is going to come in place. Other countries are getting involved in this. Why not use your company and your industry for leverage for good? And when you're looking at potential accreditations going forward, that you're at the forefront of creating those accreditations rather than letting them be imposed upon you and potentially by people that don't know what they're talking about. Thank you. So I just want to say thank you so much to Gavin, who has given up so much of his time over this series of podcasts we've recorded with him to give us such tremendous wealth of detail and insight into the world of modern slavery and human trafficking. And I think he's given us such a fantastically rousing and motivating call to arms and shown us how important organisational efforts against this crime really are. So thank you, Gavin. Thank you to listeners as well who've listened to this mini podcast series and come on this journey with us. And hopefully you've all taken as much from it as I have. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Themis Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more about Themis, please do contact us via our website at wearethemis.com or drop us an email at info at wearethemis.com. Thank you.